Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. Welcome to another episode of Shift. We are on the road. We are in Vancouver, and today we are at Vancouver's City Hall. It's a very cool building, by the way. It's very Art Deco. But what's interesting is we're in old world, but we're talking about the new world. We are talking about smart cities and cities of the future, and I have the great pleasure of being with the Chief Technology Officer, Jesse Adcock, City of Vancouver, welcome to Shift. Thanks for having me. This we're, is super exciting. We're on your home turf. No, I'm kidding. In this fantastic old building. I'm super excited to talk to you because what our listeners might not actually know is the city of Vancouver is actually one of the lead smart cities in the world. In the world! Yeah, I've been hearing that lately. Is that you right? Know? That's right. I, I think I'm hearing that. Yeah, that's what we, we, we weren't before. But we have kind of caught up and we're doing some really cool things around here. And um, I guess... Lately, people are starting to notice. So before we get into all the really cool stuff that's going on in the city, I'd love to sort of give you the moment to tell the listeners kind of what you're up to here as Chief Technology Officer for City of Vancouver. You know, the stuff that we're up to might not seem so exciting in the grand scheme of all the great things that are happening in the world and in technology, but I think uh, when you start to layer in the fact that we're doing this in government, it does get a little bit exciting. Um, and the fact is, is that we're sort of just changing the way we operate. We're changing the way we look at opportunities. We're changing the way uh, we create solutions, how we make decisions. And so it's a, I, I guess it's a, it's a sort of a turning point, an evolution where technology is becoming part of our DNA. Whereas I think before um, it was uh, sort of this peripheral component um, that helped enable the things we did, but now it's being integrated into all aspects of what we do. And so along with that comes all the, you know, glorious change management things we get to do, like the process and the culture and people and projects and portfolio management and all sorts of things. So tell me, as CTO, tell us a little bit about your, what's what's your job? What's your purview? What, What are you being asked to do? Yeah, so I have a pretty broad remit. I'm guided by our digital strategy, which kind of provides me with sort of like the goalposts of what it is that you know where, that I operate within. So one of the things I do is I lead up the team, the fantastic team um, that runs our digital uh, channels. So our Vancouver.ca website, our VanConnect mobile app, and our 311 contact center. So uh, I lead that team. I also lead the team that is responsible for our infrastructure, digital infrastructure and asset strategies. So looking at our fiber optics, uh, public Wi-Fi and the stuff that we need uh, in terms of infrastructure for the future. The third area is I, I dabble a little bit in terms of trying to be a participant in the local tech economy. Another piece that I work on is like the digital maturity of our organization. How is it that we as staff can change the way we work? And then I'm responsible for all of our core infrastructure. So application development, hardware, data centers, phones. Um, and then I also oversee our enterprise data and analytics strategy. That is a really big yeah. Remit. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, well, congrats because Thank you. Uh, think about, uh, you know, a lot of people might go, wow, that's a lot of stuff and, and that's scary. But actually, when you think about it, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity impact that you can have when you're talking about everything from as an as a organization, how do we embrace digital? As a city, how do we embrace digital? What is the IT implications of that? And that's, that's really good because you're, the buck kind of stops with you because all these things are inextricably linked. 
Yeah, you know, the city of Vancouver is sort of like the perfect size for digital transformation to be overseen by sort of like the technology part to be overseen by an individual. So in my career, I've done digital strategy um, on the business side. I've done, you know, digital channel development on the IT side, but I did it in large organizations where you're right, all of these pieces were sort of distributed. So digital transformation could sometimes be hung up by the fact that you know, you might not have the data you need or you might not be able to achieve the creative that you want to achieve because your back-end infrastructure wasn't conducive to your design or some of your transactional stuff was dictated by, like, compliance, in my case, in banking. Whereas here, you know, I started as the chief digital officer. I kicked off the process of transforming um, our digital service delivery. And then you can only do so much until you hit a wall because then you hit basically a wall that has been put up by your technology back office. And until you transform your back office, basically pause on transformation on the front end to the end user. And so I got the opportunity to then lead the back office transformation and the process build this like highly integrated digital IT data team. And it's like the results are amazing to be able to um, I guess orchestrate that change across what is typically like an organizational boundary. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how, I mean, we've talked about this in various podcasts and even just in my own sort of day-to-day working with clients. You know, it's amazing how you have a sort of a CX or a, a citizen vision, which makes total sense. I mean, it's like, why haven't, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing that? And this other thing makes a lot of sense. And then you start to do it. And then a lot of organizations realize that you can't do it because your IT or your infrastructure doesn't support it or your back office doesn't support it, and then it can die. And you go, we tried really hard, but, you know, yeah, it was just we just couldn't. We just couldn't make it happen. And then people are left disappointed across the board, citizens and, and people. And so I love the fact that you get to figure out both ends of, the, uh, both, uh, both ends of it because I think for anybody listening, it's so important to be able to um, marry those two things. Yeah, I agree. I think oftentimes, too, and this is where the government context is really interesting, is that people don't realize that, the, you know, these government bodies have kind of predated a lot of brands and a lot of industry players, so a lot of private sector, right? And so you've got years and years of compounding purchases, acquisitions, policies, decisions that haven't all necessarily been, like, master plan to an end vision or a common goal, right? And so technology acquisition in a lot of the sort of public sector organizations that I've talked to has been much like very cyclical. And you don't necessarily um, buy like in line with an end state. Public sector bodies have amalgamated their technology stacks, not necessarily by kind of master planning and design. It's just been organic growth of I've got this problem, I need a technology to help me solve it. And so you go and you go acquire usually a single purpose technology to solve a single purpose problem. And so now what we have is we have this like clash between like what people have come to expect from the interaction they have with private brands like Amazon or Google or yeah. Facebook or whatever. And so they expect, well, why isn't the city doing X, Y, and Z? It's a no brainer. Well, we get it. We know it's not that we don't know it's a no brainer. Um, it's that sometimes it's not like technically feasible or sometimes it requires a little bit more complexity. So it's, it's not as straightforward as just um, yes. it seems. Well, governments are monopolies. And so I, I guess I'm really wondering why do cities feel the need 
to do any of this smart city digital services at all. Why do it? What's, what's the point? It's become a situation where you don't have a choice. So it went from being a discretionary decision. Like we can take our time. We can just fix that gap. Uh, we can address that problem. We can do these things in silos and in an isolated context. But two things happened. One is that citizen behavior and citizen expectations has changed. So they require us to deliver more services with the same kind of a same pot of taxpayer money. So we got to get smarter about how we deliver the services to them in a way that you know we're enabling them to feel satisfied. But also how we run our business. Like so, we have to be smart about that. And then the other shift is that technology has gone like um, through the roof. Technology is now all IP connected. So like IoT plays a big role in what we're doing. So smart city went from being like this, I think, label applied by industry to a vertical, right? Like let's sell our technology into the vertical, the smart city vertical. Um, and it's now just kind of gone into this phase, phase where I'm like, it's kind of BAU, like everything being thrown at us is smart city. So it's not like... Um, you know, you have a choice. You want to get data, you have to deploy sensors or you have to collect that data and then to consume it, you have to visualize it. And then once you have it, you want to make it open, you know? And so that, it's like a, like a whole body of work. And um, yeah, so now you don't have a choice anymore. So how would you describe for the uninitiated, how do you describe a smart city? You know, cities are there for a purpose, right? We deliver certain key services um, and we enable people to have thriving personal lives. And in order to make sure that we enable them to have sort of the most healthiest environment possible, uh, we have the ability to improve how we deliver services through data and technology. You know, we can use data to prevent, um, to use predictive analytics to prevent, you know, things like crime or overdoses before they happen. We can help people guide them through transportation systems. We can improve, you know, the quality of water. We can do all sorts of things now that contributes to sort of increased wellness amongst communities. And a lot of that ability to do that um, and have a positive outcome for your community is amplified if you add a little bit of data and technology to it, as opposed to, you know, just trying to do it on your own um, in an unintegrated sort of way. When I've always thought of smart cities, I've always thought about them as the technology and the data, but not as much about what it means for people. It's like, we have smart street lights, and um, you know, there are sensors that, that can provide predictive whatever so that if buildings are having an issue, they don't, you know, they don't fall yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, it's quite, it's quite different now. I think that you'll have a spectrum of people who will define that smart city thing a little bit differently, right? If you ask a software sales guy, he's gonna say it's the vertical probably, right? Or his technology and how it fits and is gonna make city management better. But if you talk to some people and like the recent Smart Cities Challenge in Canada was really outcome focused. Like they were like, this isn't about the data and the technology. This is about how are you using the data and technology to improve the outcomes for your community and the society, right? You mentioned, hey, let's not focus on gadgets per se, but I did think I read somewhere that you guys leading the way in, uh, in Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, we're the largest public Wi-Fi hotspot in Canada. How did that happen? The smartphone has revolutionized society, and it has completely changed how people behave, think, act, decide, travel, whatever they want to do, right? And so we knew that public Wi-Fi was going to be an important component of our future. 
Our challenge was is that we could not fund it out of public coffers, but it's an important component. And so we just set out, looked around the world to see like who had done the best deals. We found a lot that failed at first. And we just tried to learn from all these lessons and we tried to build our program. And we were really lucky that we had a couple of partners like Telus and Shaw step up and help us out. And we ended up building out this like fantastic um, network and you know now probably not a week goes by where another city doesn't call us to say like could you help coach us or share your documents with us or tell us how you did stuff. Was there any backlash or concern about privacy about uh, cybersecurity? because that's certainly one of the themes we we've been talking about. Yeah yeah so I, I took a few questions around that but what I always maintain is that people need to be vigilant with their own information. You cannot delegate personal responsibility to an authority, to an organization, to your mom and dad, to your spouse, to your parent, like you cannot do that. People need to realize that every time they push accept on a T's and C's, every time they enable like their geolocation information, every time they use, fire up, you know, Apple Maps or Google Maps or MapQuest, every time they play Candy Crush, every time, like that data is being repurposed and sold, and that is not the city's fault. So you've laid the foundation for basically smart city, integrated services, digital, all this stuff in the the city of Vancouver. Where is it going to go? Where's your future vision? I'm sure you get asked this all the time. You know, right now, if if I was forced to answer it, I would say I'm trying to design like agility, scalability, flexibility to go with the flow because mm-hmm. the arc of technological um, advancement is like moving to vertical. And you know, I've, I, I'm struggling to see how we can keep pace with the change. Like a technology that today is cutting edge can kind of be replaced in like a a one-year period now it's not even like oh this technology has a horizon of 20 years and this is where um, coming back to outcomes and the community is really important because that's kind of our north star we are here to serve the community and let's keep our eyes not on the tech but let's keep our eyes on the outcomes that we want so you've been very successful in your post and being able to actually go from strategy documents to actually delivery people are, are probably wondering how did you do it what made it successful and what were some of the biggest barriers that you overcome? Like, in other words, if I'm listening and I'm in an organization that's, uh, you know, similarly bureaucratic as one might think a, a government or a city might be, how, how do I move the, how do I move the dial? How do I move this thing? So I think whoever is in the position like mine has to have, have um, flown a few planes in their life, right? Like they have to have run a few large multi-stakeholder projects. You have to make sure that it resonates with people and they can see themselves in that. I focus a lot on culture and people more less than I do on like technology uh, and process. So making sure that um, I prioritize people and how they're feeling and making sure that people are being communicated to, they know where the change is happening. I think also like having, you know, making sure that your senior management is really bought in so that when you do need to make those tie break decisions that they're there and they're willing to make those tiebreak decisions and then knowing where you're trying to get to so having some like milestones about where you're trying to get to and then my big you know my big thing was then bringing a little bit of help from industry in to kind of uh, complement the skill sets we already had 
There's just a few skill sets that we hadn't incorporated over the years, and it's normal for government not to incorporate those. Example? UX, for example, web analytics, product management, different types of architecture domains, those types of things, like stuff that wouldn't have normally just transpired through the type of procurement cycles that were happening. When you think about developing your strategy for citizens, citizens need to be central to what it is you're designing for. Um, How did you use citizens and how did you iterate based on their needs? So I'll talk a little bit about our Smart Cities Challenge submission because that was, um, I'm really proud of what we did there and I'm I'm really um, excited to tell that story actually. So the Smart City Challenge, for your listeners that don't know, is a competition that the federal government's been running um, this year. It's um, got three categories, three prize categories, a $50 million prize category, a $10 million prize category, and a $5 million prize category. So we put an application forward in the $50 million prize category, and we were just uh, a week and a half ago named as one of the shortlist. So we're one of the five finalists, so we're super excited Congrats, about that. Congrats, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, actually. And when I answer your question about citizen involvement, it's going to get even more awesome because we put forward a bid that was guided by citizens. You know, we talk a lot about digital transformation and stuff, but the other piece of wanting to transform government is this sort of like parallel philosophy that's been emerging in like a more of a philosophical topic around open government, transparent government, and uh, participatory government. And so what we wanted to do um, with our Smart City Challenge was go for more of a grassroots approach than this top-down approach of we'll just pick what we're going to put forward as our project proposal. We really wanted to try to create a use case or an example where you can audit your submission from like high-level, you know, 9,000 word paper down to the, like the citizens that provided ideas. So what we did was we started our engagement process really early and we activated a whole bunch of channels. So we had the usual social channels and online channels and um, surveys, but we also created a portal for both citizens and businesses. Mm. And so at this portal, we it was basically an ideation portal. And uh, it's still live today, actually. If you go to smartertogether.ca, you can have a look. But in the ideation portal, what we were able to do is moderate a conversation. You know, we achieved a reach of, you know, I think we had over 150,000 interactions with wow. different people. Like, it was a fairly, fairly robust experience. And 40% of the ideas that came back were related to mobility. And 50% of the vendor proposals that came back were ro- related to mobility. And we were able to take that, take the narrative and the dialogue that we received through the public process and actually build a lot of that into the rationale of why we went with the proposal that we went with. And so we talk about that in our proposal of how we kind of used all this data and and it, like even some of the quotes that you can find on the ideation portal have found their way into our submission itself. I love it. It's so cool because it is so... It, it is an example of that thing that we want to showcase, which is like this open government process, right, where we did end up being the basically the curators of the proposal, but it was like this massive crowdsourced idea. And we have the data to kind of back it up and to show traceability. So to me, that's an indication of how far we've come in that that type of engagement would have seemed absolutely impossible and insurmountable and, you know, just not doable at all a year or two years ago. But now we've kind of made it a lot less daunting and a lot more conceivable to have this massive 
conversation with this massive audience. I love technology. I love kind of, you know, gadgets and, and emerging tech. Is there anything that you're seeing around the world from a sort of connected city, smart city tech piece that you go, wow, that is really, really cool. I would love to see that in Vancouver someday. I think the AR, VR stuff is going to be really interesting from, you know, digital twinning. It's almost like second life-ish, right? Like you can almost design outcomes that are going to be in like a near reality state before they happen. So you can like picture the future before it happens in real life. You know, I think that's going to be interesting. I think the idea of overlaying some of these AR, VR use cases into city planning. I look forward to a, to an environment where tech is really improving our lives, you know, and where it's meeting the needs of of what we need as opposed to not, mm -hmm. you know? I think, we're, I think we're there, you know, I think we're getting there. I think where where we probably need to pay a little bit of attention is probably like social media channels because I think social media channels, we're kind of turning a corner now where they're probably taking more from us than we're getting in return. I agree. And I, I think that's the turning point that maybe us as society, you know, we always have these like things that we just drive by. I think social media is something people are driving by right now in terms of, I wonder if, you know, I think we need to pay a little bit of attention of where does something become unhealthy. Sad but true. Yeah. Well, that wraps up another edition of Shift. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me um, and sharing all the amazing stuff that City of Vancouver is doing to become one of the world's leading smart cities. The impact that you've had, the approach that you've taken, it's fascinating and I can't wait to see what happens next. By the time this thing airs though, we'll know whether or not you won your city challenge. So I'm got, I don't, I don't know if it's bad luck to cross one or two fingers. It's okay, cross them. I'm going to cross my fingers and toes yeah. that you guys win because that would be not only an incredible coup, but I mean, financially amazing. Yeah. So good luck. Thank you. If you are listening to the Shift podcast series, make sure you share it with your friends. Make sure you leave a comment because John is reading them and um, share the link out on social media. And subscribe. And subscribe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash ca slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.